really good to be with you today. And I'm slotting into the series that you're doing at the moment, working through your mission statement, which I, I think is super. It's, it's probably the best mission statement I've come across. Um, yeah, that, you know, all churches have them these days, and some are good and some are otherwise. Um, well, they don't touch, touch me anyway where, where I need to be touched, but yours is super. Let me remind you of the words. You've actually got them anyway on, on your um, program, I think, for today. But uh, these are the words of the mission statement. Living life Jesus' way, by his spirit, on his mission, to his glory. Just says it all, doesn't it? Uh, it's really pithy and memorable and, and uh, challenging. And uh, uh, I'm fitting in to a series that you're currently doing. I think I'm number two in the series uh, uh, of the phrase, on his mission. That's what uh, John has asked me to speak about. And in particular today, to speak about the Great Commission. Last time, uh, you had Jim Ransom with you, and he spoke about the promise to Abraham. So I'm going to read a number of short scriptures to you. If you've got your Bible, you may want to follow, or you may prefer just to listen. But uh, they'll, they'll be very familiar passages of scripture to you anyway. But uh, let me remind you, first of all, of the promise to Abraham. this going people laugh when I say I need to recharge my Bible <laughs> but uh, here we are Genesis chapter 12 uh, the first three verses of Genesis chapter 12 the Lord had said to Avram leave your country your people and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. This is Yahweh speaking, the Lord. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth, probably a better translation of the Hebrew word there is all families, all kindred on earth will be blessed through you. Isn't that an amazing word? Just right at the beginning of the Bible. What an amazing word. And of course, the rest of the Bible is actually about the unfolding of that purpose of God. Right to the book of Revelation. Right to the end. Uh, where uh, we haven't yet reached. So that's, that's what you thought about last time with Jim Ransom. Um, uh, God's dealings with Abraham, his promises to him uh, from there and a few other places as well. 
But now we're going to focus in particular upon the great commission that was given at the end of his life and ministry. Well, not the end of his life because he'd risen again, hadn't he? So that's, that's a wrong expression when you speak of Jesus in that way. But at the end of his time on earth... Uh, just before Jesus returned to heaven, he issued the disciples with uh, what we know as the Great Commission. And it occurs in each of the Gospels and also in the book of Acts. So I want to read each of those to you. Uh, you may follow if you wish uh, or, or just listen to these words. I'm going to begin with the uh, words that we have in the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 16 of the Gospel of Mark. I know these words are disputed by some modern scholars, but uh, simple as I am, I'm happy to receive them as the inspired, infallible word of God. Uh, even though they may not have been the, the words that were originally written by Mark, because our very early manuscripts of Mark's gospel are damaged at the end. And so this is an editorial edition, but I believe that it had apostolic uh, endorsement behind it when it, it was added by the next generation of believers. So here are the words of Jesus. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. It's a thrilling passage, isn't it? Okay. Go now to the end of Luke's gospel, uh, Luke chapter 24, right at the end, verse 46. So again, this is the Lord Jesus immediately prior to his, his ascension, his, his return to glory. He told them, verse 46, this is what is written. The Christ, the, the anointed one, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. It's a lovely expression, isn't it? Power from on high. Clothed, endued with power from on high. 
Luke. Now, move on to John's Gospel. A lot of people don't realize that there is an account of the Great Commission in the Gospel of John. It's brief, it's different from the others, but it is still there. So we're looking at John chapter 20, beginning at verse 21. This is when the Lord Jesus appeared to them in the upper room uh, after his resurrection. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Shalom. A lovely concept, isn't it? It means more than uh, peace in the sense of the absence of conflict. It means wholeness. It means abundance. It means blessing. It means security. It means uh, fulfillment. It just just is such a, a rich word. So, shalom be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's an amazing authority, isn't it, that Jesus delegates to us. Remarkable. Now, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, please. Where Luke, you remember he wrote both the Gospel and the book of Acts. So Luke, uh, again, um, records the the Great Commission, the the last words of the Lord Jesus. Verse 4. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, or in water, I think is is a better translation. But in a few days, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These are great words, aren't they? Let's go back now to Matthew. I've, I've left Matthew to, to the last because that, that's the one that I'm going to focus on in a minute or two. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. When Jesus came to them, uh, he said, All authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
That's the one, as I say, that I want particularly to focus on in a moment or two. Now, you, you may just wonder, uh, ha having read that sequence of scriptures to you, why the variety? Uh, why don't they all record the same words? If Jesus issued this great commission and it was of such significance, why do we have this variation among the Gospels? And some people try to use that as an argument against the reliability, the consistency of Scripture. But the answer, I, I'm sure, is this. That Jesus would have given this great commission on a number of occasions to the disciples. We know that he appeared to them many times between his resurrection and the, the time when he returned to heaven. Uh, we, we're told this. So we know that he appeared a number of times and he would have issued the Great Commission and he would have used a variation in language in order to drive the point home and to emphasize it with the disciples. So it, to me, it is not an indication of inconsistency in the scriptures. It is rather an, an indication of uh, the, the concern of the Lord Jesus to underline this, to emphasize this. You know how we sometimes say people's last words are the most significant uh, in some cultures when um, people meet, the leaders, the, the chiefs of tribes or something like that meet together and uh, they may smoke the, 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 the pipe of peace or the hookah or something and, uh, and they'll eat a meal together and they always have salt at their meal, you know that, uh, because it's a sign that you are treating this person as a friend, not an enemy, so there's always salt there and, uh, and, and, uh, and they leave the most important thing that they've come together to say until the end. So that that will stick in the minds of the folk who are present. Well, this I'm sure is what the Lord Jesus did with his great commission. Now, I want to read a few quotes to you that uh, I have found very, very challenging. Uh, you know, because of my background in, in mission and my travels in recent years, um, particularly to China, but to Vietnam and Cambodia and Laos and India and Romania and, and some other places ministering, uh, that my heart is for the nations. Because uh, years ago, um, that was what God called me to, to go to the nations, to give myself to the nations, to equip the church, uh, it, not to go and do the job, but to equip the church in these nations to preach the gospel. Uh, because they obviously can do it. Uh, in a culturally sensitive way and with much greater um, uh, ability than I can. Uh, and so my job was to uh, endeavour to equip the church. So I went and did that. But nowadays I'm confined to this country and like you, I'm sure, becoming increasingly concerned about this society of ours. It isn't just a postmodern society, it is a post-Christian society, isn't it? In virtually every sense of the word. And so we need to be concerned about evangelizing our country. And as a local church, I'm sure that part of your uh, uh, sense of destiny and calling is to be a light shining in Herne Bay. I know that's how you feel. Now listen to this. This sums up where we are in this Western uh, society, not just this nation but elsewhere. This is a, a quote that I picked up from an article entitled Spiritual Hunger 
in an age of plenty. The paradox is this. We are better paid, better fed, better housed, better educated and healthier than ever before. And with more human rights, faster communications, more convenient transportation than we have ever known. Alongside this, however, are the signs of life in pain and travail. Since 1960, the divorce rate has doubled, teen suicides have tripled, violent crime has quadrupled, the number in prison has quintupled, uh, illegitimately born children have sextupled, and people cohabiting, in other words, in casual relationships, have increased sevenfold. That's the sign of a very, very sick society, isn't it? And when I preached last Sunday, being Pentecost Sunday, I said to the folk uh, with whom I was sharing on that occasion, what do you think it will take to turn our nation around? And there's only one answer to that, isn't there? God. Only God can do it. Nobody else can. No gimmicks. I'm not necessarily knocking the latest idea uh, on the block, so to speak. You know, Christian leaders are coming up with all sorts of ideas all the time. We move from one thing to the next, don't we? Um, uh, uh, and, and I know they're godly and sincere and dearly want to serve God effectively, but at the end of the day, it has got to be God. An outpouring of the Spirit, revival, Another Pentecost. That's the only thing, isn't it, that's going to do it. And we need to be challenged about this, uh, that we ourselves may be available and, uh, and, and um, channels for the Holy Spirit to work through and uh, aware of the need. Because one senses, sadly, that many Christians are not as aware as they ought to be. I picked this up when I was reading once about the great missionary pioneer C.T. Studd. He was the founder of the Worldwide Evangelization Crusade, at one time the largest mission in the world, it may still be, uh, for all I know. Out of it came CLC, out of it came Radio Worldwide and other ministries. But Studd had recorded this in his journal because an atheist had said this to him very challengingly, in your face, as it were, and, and it stuck, and C.T. Studd couldn't get it out of his mind. This is what the atheist said. If I firmly believed, as millions say they do, that the knowledge and practice of religion in this life influences our destiny in another, then religion would mean to me everything. I would cast away earthly enjoyments as dross, earthly thoughts and feelings as vanity. Religion would be my first waking thought and my last image before sleep sank me into unconsciousness. I should labor in its cause alone. 
I would take thought for the morrow of eternity alone. I would esteem one soul gained for heaven worth a life of suffering. Earthly consequences would never stay in my head or seal my lips. Earth, its joys and its griefs would occupy no moment of my thoughts. I would strive to look upon eternity alone and on the immortal souls around me soon to be everlastingly happy or everlastingly miserable. I would go forth to the world and preach to it in season and out of season and my text would be, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? It's challenging, isn't it? So challenging. But just a little quote to put it in, uh, in, in a, a different context. This is, this is a book that I highly recommend. I know John loves the writings of John Piper. Um, as I do, and others of you may may be familiar with them as well, but uh, let's put this in its proper place. This is the introduction to a book on mission. And he says this, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is the ultimate, not mission. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides Forever. Isn't that wonderful? So we're concerned about mission because we want to turn people into worshippers. We want God to be worshipped. Jesus shall reign where'er the Son doth his successive journey run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. That's our aim, isn't it? To bring people to worship Jesus. So that in the end, when people from every tribe and tongue and nation and and ethnic group are around the throne, we'll be there with them and our hearts will be satisfied because we will know that we, in our own small way, have participated with Jesus in his great purpose and objective of mission to turn rebels into worshippers. What a great thought that is, isn't it? John Piper's got another quote. I forget where I wrote this from, but uh, here it goes. The bottom line is this, that this life and what we do with it is of eternal purpose. You and I will never have another chance To move the hand of God through prayer. To heal a hurting soul. To share Christ with one who can be saved from hell. 
to give a cup of water to the thirsty, to invest money to help the helpless, to rescue the unborn from murder, to further God's kingdom, to share our homes and our clothes and our love with the poor and the needy. Do it now. Now's the time. We won't have another chance. In eternity, none of these things will be needed. Do it now. Do it now. That's what John Piper is saying. Let's get urgent about it and give ourselves to it now. Now, I must press on. There's just one other thing that that, that comes to me uh, before we turn to the scriptures uh, directly for a few minutes. But the reason I put these quotes together is, and I'm sure present company is accepted, but nevertheless, I, I do sense that a lot of Christians are unaware of this great challenge and great need. And uh, they're just floating happily through life. They have the Lord and that seems to be all that matters to them. I came, uh, the reason I believe this is I came across the results of a religious survey recently. It was in America, but I, I, my guess is it applies as much to this country. So it was a religious survey and it asked people, are you born again? And if they weren't, then it it asked them other questions. If they said, yes, I am born again, then it it asked them to turn to a certain page and to answer the questions on that page. And they were the the, the usual multiple choice, you know, idiots type questions. And, um, well, we we are treated like idiots these days, aren't we? You know, with so much stuff. Anyway, uh, that's by the way. Uh, One question was this. What do you consider is the main purpose of your life? And these are people who say they're born again. And of the multiple choices, more than half of them chose this. The main purpose of my life is pleasure and fulfillment. What Bible are they reading? What God do they know? What Jesus are they following? Challenging, isn't it? So let's go to the Great Commission. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Wonderful words, aren't they? And some of you have heard me point out before that there are four alls in in, uh, that commission of the Lord Jesus, that that word of the Lord Jesus, four alls. They don't come out as clearly in the English uh, as, as they do in the original language. First of all, all authority in heaven and on earth. That's the first all. Now, in the language of the New Testament, there are two words translated power or authority. The first one is the word from which we get the English word dynamite or dynamic. You know, the dynamic duo. People sometimes say that about Joan and I, or they used to. I'm not sure they do anymore. 
The dynamic duo, yeah. So, so it, that, that's, that's, that's the Greek word. And, and it means authority, it means power, but it means it in the sense of strength or ability. So when Jesus says in Acts 1 verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, he says you're going to receive the strength to be my witnesses. You're going to receive the ability to serve me and to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's, it's in that sense, you see. That's the promise. And, and it's a wonderful promise. Now, there's another Greek word, and that's the word that Jesus uses here. And uh, um, it's used elsewhere. It's used almost as many times as, as, as the, the other word that, that is, uh, <clears throat> as I say, is translated uh, uh, dynamite or dynamic. The word authority. And... Uh, This word means the right. It means a warrant. It sometimes is translated wealth. And and I'll tell you the Greek word because I want to explain something to you. The Greek word is exousia. In other words, it has a preposition at the beginning, ex. And the preposition ex means out of or from. So authority is out of the right that has been given to me. Do you sense that? See, I have been given a right. I've been given a warrant by Almighty God himself. And out of that authority, that right that has been delegated to me, I speak to you, so to, uh, as it were, you see. That's the, that's the authority with which you share the gospel. Even when you're on a bus or on a street corner or sitting drinking coffee, coffee with somebody, you're, you're actually flowing in that authority. So it's a great word, you see. Out of my wealth, the wealth that God has invested in me, I share with other people. It, it's that sense, you see. Isn't that a great word? And of course, Jesus, first of all, says, all authority has been given to me. You remember uh, that lovely passage in Philippians chapter 2 where we're told about the Lord Jesus uh, making himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It's a wonderful passage, isn't it? But then it goes on like this. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him, And given him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. Nobody is accepted. Isn't that great? You see? So so this is what Jesus means here in, in this passage in Matthew's gospel. When he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. But then he goes on, therefore you go. See, in the light of that, he's delegating this to us. Now, I I understand Jesus to mean two things here when when he says this to us. First of all, I'm sure he is emphasizing to us that he alone is the way of salvation. He alone is the way and the truth and the life. All authority. There is nobody else. There is no other way to God. 
I struggle sometimes with understanding uh, where people who have never heard of Jesus stand uh, when the judgment day comes, how God will deal with them. But thankfully, I don't need to know that at this present time. All I need to know is there is only one saviour. There is only one way of salvation. There is only one way to God. So that, that is emphasised by Jesus' statement, all authority. But there's a second thing as well, and that is to give us immense confidence. And that's what we're to have, immense confidence in the light of this wonderful word of the Lord Jesus that all authority has been given to him. Not only confidence as we go and share the gospel, believing that we are called and that we are invested with this power, but also confidence that God will work his own work. Remember Jesus himself says earlier on in Matthew's gospel to his disciples, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we have that confidence So what a wonderful word that is then, all authority. Here's the second all, all the nations. Go therefore and teach all the nations. There's a definite article there, not just all nations, but all the nations. And the word that that, that Jesus uses is the word from from which we get ethnic. It's that word, ethnic. That's the Greek word. Again, we've brought it over into the English language. And, and it, it, means, it means people group. It doesn't mean the United States and Canada and Brazil and Argentina and Mexico. It doesn't mean Russia or India even. There are, there are nearly 500 distinct people groups in India. And the same is true of China and a number of other nations. Well, many, most nations. We've got distinct ethnic groups in this country, haven't we? Somebody in China once asked me of my origins, and I said, well, I'm I'm Welsh in in background. And they said, oh, that's a minority group, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And I said, yes, a persecuted minority. (laughs) Anyway, so so this is the word that Jesus uses, all the nations. And do you know... um, uh, uh, Statisticians, anthropologists and so on, uh, they have calculated there are 24,000 ethnic groups in the world. And half of them have yet to be effectively evangelised. That's the challenge. Now putting that in terms of numbers, we're talking about a third of the population of the world. Two billion people have still, this is 2009, in all those centuries, the church has still not half completed the job that Jesus gave her when he issued the Great Commission. So it's very, very challenging. However, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, folks. Of that, we can be confident. Uh, Before I draw to a close, let me read a couple of couple of scriptures, very, very challenging scriptures to you. From Revelation 5, and they sang a new song. This is verse 9. You, speaking of the Lamb, you are worthy to take the scroll 
and to open its seals. Because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. What a word, eh? Gone the wrong way. Let me to go uh, on to Revelation chapter 7. So that was 5, 9. This is 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, And were holding palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God. We've just sung that haven't we? Who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb. Heaven's going to be a marvellous place folks isn't it eh? Oh wonderful. But listen we've got a job to do. I must draw to a close now. I realise time has gone and. I haven't done all that I intended, but that's okay. I'm sure I've given you enough to think about. These are the words of Jesus when the disciples had asked him about the end of the age, what's going to happen, what are the signs, and and, uh, having mentioned various things, he then says this. This gospel of the kingdom must be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all ethnic groups. Then, only then, the end will come. You got that? So we've still got a job to do. If we want Jesus to come back, if we want to see the devil defeated, if we want to see this world of ours cleaned up, sorted out and restored to its original paradise, we've got a job to do, folks. Now I know that most of us can't go. We're old fogies like me. Uh, We struggle with health problems and issues and so on. But Jesus doesn't want us just to go. He wants us also to pray and to give. And we can all do some of that, can't we? Let me end with something um, that uh, I was reminded of. Um, It's about a group of believers called the Moravians. They lived in the early 18th century. And they were committed to world mission long before William Carey and the beginning of what we call the modern missionary movement. This was their mission statement, if you like. Your mission statement is to live the Jesus life and stuff, or the Jesus way. This was their mission statement. To win for the lamb that was slain the reward of his sufferings. Isn't that beautiful? To win for the lamb that was slain the reward of his sufferings. They're reflecting there on Isaiah chapter 53, aren't they? Where, towards the end of the chapter, we read these words. He shall see the fruit of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. Jesus is going to look upon us when we're all thronged around him in heaven, in those white robes with those palm branches. He's going to look on us with an immense smile on his face and be satisfied. They had another one as well that they they, they expressed later. To gather into Christ 
the souls he died to save, is the one object for which the church exists. How about that? The one object for which the church exists. So there we are. One day we're going to come and stand before the Lord Jesus. He speaks about the occasion in Matthew 25. And he says, he separates the sheep from the goats. And he says to one group, come, blessed of my father, receive the reward prepared for you from all eternity. Because I was in prison and you visited me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was in need and you ministered to me. When did we do this? These sheep are going to say. Uh, In so much as you did it to one of the least of my little ones, you did it to me. And he's going to say to them, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But to the others he's going to say, There is no reward for you because you didn't do it to me. You didn't visit me in prison. You didn't clothe me. You didn't bring water to me when I was thirsty. When? When did we fail to do that, say these people? And they strike me as believers uh, uh, or or, um, casual believers anyway, professors of of, of religion. When? Uh, When you didn't do it to those who were in need, the persecuted, Uh, who we're going to remember in John and Joe's garden this afternoon when we gather together uh, uh, to express our support for the Open Doors ministry and and people in desperate need all around the world. So, brothers and sisters, uh, there's a challenge for us all here today. Let's never forget we are saved to serve. And we can only do it in this life. In heaven, it'll be a different kind of service altogether, won't it? But right here and now... Jesus is asking, all this I did for you when he died on the cross. What are you doing for me? Amen. Thank you. As always, we're available to pray with everybody. We'd like prayer.